Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Welcome to the Scott Radley Show for this Thursday evening. Glad you are along. Thrilled you're along, especially, especially on the rarest of all days. Uh, Well, you do know it's leap year day, right? I mean, if you're thinking, what's the rarest of all days? Yeah, it's leap year day, February 29. We never, I mean, we, we, I shouldn't say we never get February 29. That would not be right. We get one every four years. If you are someone who was born on leap years back and you are now in, what shall we call it? Human years, you're 50. You're really just about to be turning into a teenager. That's kind of cool. I mean, it keeps you young, right? I would assume. I would assume not amazingly, not many celebrities. Now, maybe not amazingly again, because it's so odd, but I was looking today, finding out, so which celebrities were born on leap year day? And there are very few, the, probably the most famous celebrity quote, quote, born on leap year day is Tony Robbins. You know, the motivational speaker guy with the Baseball cap and the gravelly low voice now, or the worn out voice, I guess. Anyway, welcome to the show. Welcome to Leap Year Day. I don't know what you do to celebrate Leap Year, if anything, but knock yourself out. It is, uh, as I say, it's, it's the rarest of all days, only obviously every four years. And all the things I'm just saying, pretty, pretty obvious. You already know all these things, but yeah, just it's, it's, I never even really noticed this day in past years. Maybe just sort of slid by this year for some reason. I don't know. It's gotten a little more attention. It's standing out a little bit more. So we, uh, we welcome you aboard on, on leap year day. Let me tell you what we're going to be talking about on the show today. A bottom of this hour, the city of Hamilton has landed a nice chunk of change to help with its winter homelessness strategy. Now, ignore for a moment the fact that for the last few days, other than a couple hours yesterday and overnight when you woke up and there was snow, uh, ignore the fact that there hasn't been a whole lot of winter this winter and that it hasn't really been all that bad outside. I mean, yesterday, I was down yesterday at the Hamilton Indoor Games, what used to be the Spectator Indoor Games. Remember when Ben Johnson used to run and all that kind of stuff? And I came out of First Ontario Centre, got into my car, and the thermometer on my car said 20 degrees, 20 degrees on February the 28th. Well, within five or six hours, it was absolutely freezing cold. But nonetheless, leave apart, leave aside the fact about how gentle much of this winter has been. We we do have winter usually, and so the city, we're going to talk about this, uh, what this money will be going towards for winter time and homeless people. Um, we're also going to be talking next hour about Canada's new online harm bill. Have you heard about this? Have you followed this? Have you read anything about this? It is, it is a bill. Well, it, it deals with all kinds of stuff digitally and, uh, credit where credit is due. There is one element of this that I think we will probably all agree is useful. There's one element that is involving children and sexual images and putting, using kids for s- sexual images online and things like that. I, I, I can't imagine there's anybody out there who is against cracking down on that kind of thing. 
someone taking a photo or a video of a child and using it for a purpose like that. I, I can't believe there's anybody who would have a problem with the government being serious about that and doing something to try to eradicate it. It's the other parts of the bill that have been tucked into this, stuffed into the envelope, that I think a lot of people should and will have problems with. We will talk about what those things are next hour. And um, also, there's, uh, there is uh, next hour, we're going to be chatting about, um, if you're someone who's looking to buy a home, to build a home, uh, we're going to have a bit of a cautionary tale for you about uh, some stuff that's, that's going on. As always, the first segment of The Scott Radley Show is brought to you exclusively by fox40shop.com for sport and for safety. Has to be fox40shop.com. Enter the promo code Radley at checkout and you will get 25% off your order. I want to lead off today, though, with what is going on down at Hamilton City Hall. This is a... This is something that when it started out, it sounded like an inconvenience. The longer this goes on for, we're now started Sunday. So we're now in a day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're now in a day five. This cyber security breach, cyber attack, whatever words you want to use, a lot of people starting to say, okay, what does all this mean? That they still can't get things up and running. They still say they don't know exactly what's going on. How concerned should we be about this? Robert Falzon is head of engineering for Checkpoint Research Canada, joins us now. Robert, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. I really appreciate you doing this because this is one of these stories that we're hearing more about these kind of things here and there. Toronto Library, I know, had a situation a while back and other companies have had situations where their data, their IT has been hacked. But uh, I don't know if another, do we know, is there another city that has had their infrastructure hacked like it sounds like Hamilton's has that we know of? Uh, yeah, there's been a ton of them. Okay. Um, it's it's interesting. I think uh, hackers are actually going after municipalities now um, just due to the expectation that they're probably not as robustly funded or, or not managing it the same way maybe a federal agency might. So they are uh, becoming increasingly the target of choice uh, for many of these organizations. What would the, okay, so other than the fact that they might, and, and we don't know a whole lot, honestly, about Hamilton's system because they're not saying a whole lot right now, but beyond the possible ease of getting through, if it is or isn't, what would be the appeal of a city website or a, not a city website, a city system? Like what would a hacker want from a city system? So they don't really want anything from the system itself. They want, in most cases, they want money. That's in fact, that's the focus of, of all of this is they're looking f to extract funds from the municipality, uh, often in return for, uh, you know, the non-release of public data. Uh, it appears as though, you know, some public data may have been compromised here. We don't know for certain, but they have um, taken steps which would indicate to me that perhaps that has happened by, for example, engaging the police and so forth. Um, you know, they have an obligation uh, to be transparent in many of these things. So I think the objective here for, for a hacker, again, is to seek financial gain uh, by threatening to either release this public data that's been captured uh, or to, you know, try to embarrass the organization uh, and so forth. It's it's all really based on just another scam to try to make some money. So the city has been very careful thus far not to identify anything as ransomware, which is essentially what you're talking about. That said, um, they may be in a position after a break, we'll talk about that, but w would that be your expectation though, that even though they're not saying this, that this sounds like that? 
It does sound like that, but we have to remember too, um, ransomware isn't the only way uh, these criminal enterprises can get access to data, right? They could actually um, have a, you know Trojan inside the organization. They could have access uh, directly via some sort of remote uh, access or remote control capability, and they might be collecting or exfiltrating data from uh, systems internally and then keeping that data as well or holding that ransom. So there's multiple different ways, but uh, to your point, it's the most common mechanism, ransomware is the most common mechanism that they use because the ransomware tools themselves uh, encrypt that data, making it unavailable uh, to the city and making the systems often unavailable to the city or the municipality, uh, while also simultaneously uh, taking that data and removing it from the premises and making copies of it uh, at the site of, mm. the, of the hacker. So I think this is probably the question that most people in town have right now, because most of us don't really understand this stuff because we're not IT experts, is how concerned, not for the city hall itself, for us, city the city does have personal information on people. It has banking information for taxes or it has home addresses or it has other things. How concerned should people be about what a hacker may or may not have been able to acquire through doing something like this? I do think uh, citizens have uh, a right to be concerned about this, right? We we have seen, you know, uh, some seemingly uh, people are accepting more and more, uh, you know, breaches of their personal privacy. Uh, but when it comes to situations like this, as you mentioned, there's a lot of key information available uh, in documentation normally stored in the city. And when we talk about how that affects our personal, not just privacy, but even our safety in some situations, um, if you think about the, some of the data that can be uh, gathered from an operation like this, you look at you know government affair information, law, information about laws that might be coming that affect certain parties. Uh, there's probably details about uh, infrastructure information, which is probably more concerning to me. And this is things like municipal infrastructure, infrastructure like I mean, water supply stuff, information about how the city manages these things. Uh, maybe even documents that'll explain connectivity things for their networks and things. So, you know, perhaps informing further attacks as they move forward uh, in the, in the, within the infrastructure. So there's a lot of things to be concerned about here. I think, uh, you know, transparency is going to be key uh, for the for the municipality to come forward as soon as they possibly can and begin to let people know, first of all, what exposure uh, they've been faced with and provide them with clear instructions on how to mitigate some of those risks, whether it be, you know, the release of uh, if information related to their payment systems has been compromised. Uh, people need to be made aware of the specific steps that they can take to protect themselves uh, moving forward from what might uh, occur as really, as uh, as a result of this attack. And, and of course, and, and we don't know, I and mean, we're speculating because we're hearing very little from City Hall. The other side of this, of course, is uh, there are you know, city council, for example, has meetings in camera. There's private information, legal matters, and other things that I suppose could all, who knows if that is, could mm -hmm. all have been accessed. So the fact that the city is saying very little, why would, why would that be? They're saying we can't say much right now. And there's been a suggestion that by saying things, the city could be tipping off other people to susceptibilities or things. Is that a legitimate fear that if you say much, other people who may have nefarious ideas could jump on that? It's a it's a commonly used uh, tactic. I do I, I can't disregard that. It is certainly um, one component here at play. I don't think it's the primary concern. Uh, you know, I think 
for me, if I was to be a, a betting person, I would bet that it's because they're not really entirely aware of the scope of the issue yet. Okay, uh, that would be my my guess. Um, and that's and why would that be? Dream, why why would they not be able to know? Because the information is tied up or locked down that they can't get to it. That could be one thing. And again, in the case of a ransomware, if things are encrypted, they might not yet, you know, understand until someone tries to access that system or, or you know, connect to it. They might not even be aware that there's a compromise, right? We think about how uh, quickly organizations uh, and municipalities and businesses alike have been moving to cloud infrastructure, for example. So some of these things may be taking place uh, even off-site for the, for, the, for the municipality, and they may not have been made aware yet. So they're under in the process right now, I'm certain, of scrambling to assess exactly how widespread this attack has been, what things are affected. And that way, when they do come out and they notify the, you know, the public of what's happened, they're not surprised by yet some other aspect of it that perhaps they weren't aware of, and certainly they don't want to look incompetent in the face of something like that. You know, I, I should go back to the very beginning. I should just clarify something here, because the city is using the term cybersecurity incident. Is there any chance that this is a totally benign, non-hack situation that just something with the system has glitched in the coding or something, and it's not anybody or anything behind this. It's just a completely, a complete accident. It's, it is possible, but that it would be surprising to me if they would use language like that uh, to describe a situation like that. Um, to be fair, uh, if it, you know, if there's, uh, I, I don't estimate that the people that they're employing right now um, are of a, of a degree that would not be well aware that this was in fact a cybersecurity inf- incident. If it wasn't, I'm certain that they're they're aware of it. So if they if they're stating that much, um, I think they're likely you know, warning us to some degree that there's more information to come and that we should be prepared to take action uh, once the rest of the data is available. So by telling us that there is an actual uh, attack here, uh, it's, it's really just preparing us for the fact that we're going to have to do something about it moving forward. Many people at many companies will have to undergo training. They'll, you know, they'll get an email saying you got to take this video training or something and click on, you know, all the stuff. People listening, I'm sure, know all the stuff. And a lot of it is here. Don't allow, don't click on this. Don't do this because it could allow this to happen. Is it conceivable that one staff person who clicked on one wrong email or something like we always hear in these training videos could have opened the door to something this seemingly widespread? Um, the simple answer is absolutely that's possible. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely possible. And the fact is that attacks today uh, are becoming incredibly sophisticated. They're being super powered by artificial intelligence tools previously not available to you know the the hackers in the underworld uh, organizations that we're seeing using them now. And this is supercharging that uh, attack capability. So. With this level of sophistication, we're seeing that these attacks have the ability to move uh, and and disguise themselves within an organization. They could be time bombed so that they you know they go off in certain places. Uh, many of the systems that the um, that larger scale organizations like a municipality might use are also um, being taken advantage of by the way they're actually architected. So, in an example, would be uh, they'll they'll often one of the the techniques they'll use to recover from this is go to backups and they'll bring these backups out and they'll restore systems that might have been uh, taken down with a backup that they had, perhaps not realizing that some of these attacks might actually be stored in some of those backups. 
right? So further creating additional problem as they move forward. So we do have to look differently at how we manage um, infrastructure, especially complicated infrastructure or critical infrastructure in the future, because it is not uh, something that we can continue to use many of the systems and things we've relied on in the past to protect ourselves. It's just too complicated now. Uh, we we got to go, but uh, just one last thing. Back in, well, always, I mean, I'll, I'll use an example from the world of sports with uh, doping. Um, the dopers and the scientists who have been involved in doping over the years have always seemed to be a step ahead of the people who are chasing them to try and stop the doping. Is it the same thing with hacking in computers that the hackers are always a step ahead? Um, I wouldn't not. I would actually not agree with that. Uh, I, I'd say that the race is pretty much neck and neck right now. Uh, but the good guys are, are really doing an, an incredible job as well. There are many, many tools and systems available and, and mechanisms and techniques we can use to protect ourselves that should be able to protect us from attacks like the one faced here. Um, the problem is it does it does take uh, a serious commitment to focusing on security first, uh, and typically we've been able to kind of move forward without uh, the type of focus that is now necessary for us to be successful in this regard. So uh, the tools are here, uh, the capabilities are here for us to protect ourselves. We just really need to uh, begin to prioritize security uh, in places like this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You probably have noticed that we haven't had much of a winter this year. Uh, some of you who booked vacations to go away to escape the cold haven't really escaped the cold for the most part. It's been cool today for an hour or two. It was cold. It has been a little chillier, but it's not been the kind of winter we usually have. That said, it usually is difficult out there, especially for people who don't have a home, don't have a place to live, who are living on the street. Well, the city of Hamilton has now landed a million and a half dollars in federal funds for a response to homelessness. Is this money then going to be something that we can apply year after year, that we can bank on year after year to deal with the people who are there going forward? Let's bring on Tom Cooper. He is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. Tom, how are you tonight? Hey, Scott. Good to talk to you. Uh, you as well. So this is um, this is an encouraging thing to help people who are on the street but I would think that it's probably a lot more encouraging if this becomes an annual thing. Is this a one-off for this year, or is this something we can expect? Yeah, that's my understanding, Scott, that it is a one-off. It's a recognition that Hamilton and and certainly other communities as well, but particularly Hamilton, is facing a crisis around individuals who are unhoused in our community, and that this money will go to enabling some really important services like drop-in centers uh, for people to to stay warm and uh, stay safe, um, you know, during uh, certainly some of those cold nights we have seen. And although you're right, it hasn't been as cold as, as some years, and maybe we've been lucky in that respect, um, it doesn't mean that the situation is any less safe uh, for people who are without a home. Uh, we just saw last, uh, last week, Tevia Morrow from The Spectator reported a 67-year-old gentleman passed away at uh, at the Tiffany Barton lands uh, in um, he was there staying in a in a camper and uh, certainly we've seen far too many of these situations over the past uh, little while and and so this money will certainly help it will go to some really important services but unfortunately the city's going to have to go back to the federal government uh, year after year uh, because this doesn't sound like it's going to be permanent. So, Tom, I don't want to be overly cynical, um, 
But why are we getting this money now that it's March and we're probably almost March and we're probably, probably past the expected worst part of the winter? It seems like this would have been a lot more usable if it had arrived maybe the beginning of December. Yeah. And, and I, I would agree. And when we're looking at these sorts of situations, it's uh, I'm sure the city is, is thankful uh, to get, get this money and they not, may not want to be too critical, but but if you look at the federal government's role in housing, and and certainly even more the provincial government's role, um, you know they they have to step up. The federal government thirty years ago basically washed their hands of providing new affordable housing units, and now some of those policy decisions, a lot of those policy decisions, are coming home to roost. And 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 so we've seen the result of of the lack of uh, new affordable housing builds, the lack of support services, and cities are the level of government that have the least capacity to pay uh, for these very real human services. And and so it should be the federal government that steps up. It should be the provincial government that steps up to uh, to ensure that uh, everybody has has some opportunity to uh, to stay safe and stay warm um, and and hopefully find a home. I know that there is a terrific program downtown right by First Ontario Centre, the hub that does great work with people who need some place to go get warm. I know that it was either, I think it was last year or the year before, I think it was last year, where at one time during a really deep freeze, it was the only warming centre, if I recall, open. Have we done better this year? Have there been improvements that even if we're only getting this money now, that things have been better in the city? I, th- I think a little bit, and, and you're right, we can look at maybe the situation with uh, this winter not being as cold as last, as, as maybe we haven't heard quite as, as many of the desperate stories, but certainly if we look, uh, drive around anywhere in Hamilton, we see the, the growing number of encampments, the uh, growing number of people sleeping in alleyways and in alcoves, and 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 obviously this is a human crisis, and and drop-in centers like the hub and Jen Bonner and her team over there are doing extraordinary work under under really difficult circumstances trying to stem these human crises um but they they need help and and again they need help from the federal government uh they need help from the provincial government at the end of the day this also comes down to to having conversations about income security for people because if people are getting evicted because they simply can't afford rent. And we're seeing more and more people in that situation facing homelessness for the first time in their lives uh, because their uh, their rents have just become too unaffordable and they couldn't, uh, maybe they're on a fixed income, maybe they're on provincial social assistance and, and they just can't find a safe uh, place to stay anymore. And so they end up um, homeless and 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 so in some circumstances they may be able to access the traditional shelter system in other circumstances it may be a drop-in center but uh it it is a recognition that uh, governments have not done enough to to really invest in in what we've needed and that's affordable supportive housing I, I mean, there's a second part to this as well. And I like I share your view on the people who simply are, you know, rent has become too much as you describe or whatever. I still, though, think that we're not doing nearly enough for mental health and addiction, which is another enormous part of this. There's a lot of the people who are out on the street who are facing problems beyond just, I'm not saying they don't have a place to live or they do, but it's beyond just the housing thing. There are huge underlying problems here. 
Oh, exactly. And that's that's why it can't just be housing. It also needs to be the support services, the wraparound supports that go around along with it. So whether those are mental health supports or addictions counseling or, or skills development so individuals can can get uh, appropriate jobs. Yeah, these are all critical pieces of it. And, and often we'll see governments putting X number of dollars towards new affordable housing builds, uh, which again, they haven't done nearly as enough, enough on that front over the last three decades. They're trying to do some catch up now. Um, but if you don't have the support services to support those people, it makes it difficult uh, for people with mental health challenges, with addictions to actually stay in those affordable accommodations right. once they become available. hundred percent. I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you on this, that we need to have housing, but if we just give someone a house, but they still have these underlying horrible problems, it's not really a solution. It's part of a solution, I guess, but it's not really a solution. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so that's why it's important to look at, at other innovative ideas. And, and you and I have talked in the past about the idea around the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters and, and whether that comes to fruition or not, or a model that's similar, but really provides some opportunity for people to get sheltered and, and, and uh, have, have safety it'll be important to provide those wraparound services as well. And, and that does cost governments money, unfortunately, but that's what we need to do. Recognizing that we've had some policy failures over the last X number of years, and we have to play catch up and, and provide services to those people who otherwise have nowhere to turn. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.